I'd like to begin tonight by saying thank you for your welcome and a special thanks for your prayers. As this uh, presidential year unfolds, I think this is about week 10 now, uh, I'm discovering how much the prayers of God's people um, are a great source of solace and strength. And uh, one of the things I'm praying for is resilience, that I might get to the end of week 52 uh, still as one whole person. In being invited to speak tonight, I chose this wonderful passage from Mark's Gospel to reference our thoughts. Because I think it's one of those Gospel passages that if you were to close your eyes, you can almost see it happening. Or, if you're one of those people who had the benefit of a Sunday school education, you might remember being asked to turn a shoebox upside down and cut a hole in it to make it into a little house in which this story might have been might have taken place but the other reason why i particularly like it is because of the reactions of all the people who were involved anyone who knows anything about human behavior can see that what is described here is perfectly natural so we begin with the news about jesus beginning to spread now throughout Capernaum. This is Mark's gospel. We're only in chapter 2. But boy, you look at chapter 1 and see all the things that happened in that chapter. And suddenly here we are in Capernaum in chapter 2. And the news about Jesus and all that he's doing and saying has beginning to spread. Now I need to remind you, these are in the days before the internet. These are in the days before the telephone. These are in the days before the television. These are in the days before newspapers and radio. These are in the days before the printing press. This is 2,000 years ago. How did people hear news in those days? Only by word of mouth. And as travelers came from place to place, they brought stories and they told of the things that were happening. And those who came to Capernaum told about the things that Jesus was doing in and around the area of Galilee. And so whenever it was said, he's on his way, crowds began to gather. We see that in later on in Luke's gospel when uh, Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming. Uh, we hear it when there's uh, lepers outside a village. Whenever the news that he's on his way is spread by person to person, so people begin to gather. And as the news began to spread throughout Capernaum, there were four people who had a friend who was paralyzed. And they decided, well, this is the moment that they were going to do something extra to help their paralyzed friend. And so, as the news began to spread, they decided, they made a plan, let's take our friend to Jesus so that Jesus can heal him. Now, in my mind, as I close my eyes and think about it, this paralyzed man is lying on a pallet. We're told it is a pallet in the, in the Gospels. One on each corner, jogging their way through the streets of the, of the town, trying to get to the place where Jesus is now resident with the people. But the news has begun to spread. And when they get to the house where Jesus is, it's packed it's absolutely full of people. 
So much so that when they get to the door and say, can we bring our paralyzed friend in? They're pushing them away. He couldn't get even in at the door. I like to think in my mind they might have gone to a window and see if they could slide him in through the window before they decided that the only thing they could really do was dig a hole in the roof. And so they, I'd like to know how they did it, got up the steps with the paralyzed man on his pallet and got him up onto the roof and then they began to dig and dig. Now, we suspect that the houses of the time were made from sort of wattle and daub, twigs and clay and things all mashed together to make uh, a reasonable home that could withstand some of the fairly mild extremes of the weather at the time. But what must it have been like to have been a person inside the house when this was happening? At first, some bits of dust would start to come down, wouldn't they? And then some larger pieces of the ceiling would start to fall. And then perhaps a chunk came down as a hole was made big enough. And I don't know what you think about human nature, but that place may have been packed. But you can be sure that as this stuff started to fall, they all moved back. Because they didn't want it falling on their heads. And when the hole was big enough, Mark tells us in the gospel, they lowered the paralyzed man to the feet of Jesus. Now, I've got lots of questions about that. Did they put a rope on each corner and lower him down like that? Did they put a rope around his body with the pallet and sort of slide him in that way? We don't know. But what we do know is that they laid him at the feet of Jesus. And why was that possible? Because digging a hole had made a space in the house for the man to be laid at the feet of Jesus. And here we are with this situation. And Mark tells us something really interesting. He tells us that Jesus looked up. What would he have seen? Well, if they'd lowered the man down on ropes, they would probably have had to be either standing, you know, doing it like this, or even perhaps lying on their chests. But there were four faces. And Mark tells us that Jesus saw the faith of the friends. And we know, as Ali read the story to us, that before the end of this encounter, the man is healed. That wasn't a given at this point in the story. But these four friends had heard enough about Jesus and believed enough about Jesus to go to all the trouble of getting their paralyzed friend to the feet of Jesus, even though it meant digging a hole in somebody else's roof. This is a marvel of Scripture. Because it is the faith of the friends that led to the healing of the paralyzed man. Notice, nobody ever asked about the faith of the paralyzed man. It was the faith of the friends that availed much in this situation. It was because of their faith in Jesus that they brought him. It was because of their faith that they expected Jesus to do something. It was because of their faith that they expected the paralyzed man to be healed. And I want to declare tonight that the faith of friends is invaluable in our world today. 
That's why we believe in intercession. Even for people when we pray for, even for people who are not sure whether they believe or have declared they do not believe or they will not believe. We pray for nations, for continents, for companies. We pray for crises. And we pray as faithful people, believing that God hears and answers our prayers because the prayers of the friends avail much. And we need, as God's people, to continue to pray. To pray for those who are in need and to pray for the world in all its need. I was once told, I think it was by an American evangelist that I was listening to. He said, do you know, if you've got somebody praying for you, just give up now. And he went on to say, and if you've got an older person praying for you, who's got lots of time to give to prayer, just give up straight away. And if you've got an older, I'm sorry this is stereotypical, but if you've got an older female person praying for you, just you've got no hope at all. Because God hears the prayers of his people and in God's way will answer them. We need the faith of the friends. Surely this is what the church is all about. That when we gather, we pray. Not just for ourselves. Not just for our loved ones, but for all the world. And we particularly remember those who ask us for prayer. And we pray for those who don't ask too. So here we are. Jesus sees the faith of the friends. What's going to happen next? Well, the friends are really expectant. The paralyzed man's probably not quite sure where he is or what he's supposed to be doing here. But then Jesus utters a remarkable phrase. He says, and he looks at the paralyzed man when he says this, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now I think if I'd been one of the four friends and I'd gone to all the trouble to get my pal to the feet of Jesus, including taking the roof off somebody else's house, I was expecting a bit more than just having his sins forgiven. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. Mark makes that clear. He also knew what the scribes and the Pharisees of the law, who were also in that squashed building, were thinking. They were thinking, blimey, this is blasphemy. No one can, can, can forgive sins but God. And this man, has already, this man, this Jesus, has already forgiven somebody's sins. It's blasphemy. And Jesus knew what they were all thinking. And so he said, so that you might know that I have the authority for, to forgive sins. I say to you, and he looks at the paralyzed man, rise, get to your feet, take up your pallet and go home. I wonder how long the pause was in that place after Jesus made that command. I wonder how long it took for the paralyzed man to test his body and to test his feet and his legs and to be able to come to stand. I wonder if anybody helped him up. But what we do know is that he came to stand on his two feet for the first time. 
I would like to think that somebody picked up his pallet for him and tucked it under his arm. He didn't have to stretch down and fetch it for himself. Who knows? And that place may have been packed, but you can be sure those people made enough space for him to be able to do as Jesus said and get out of that place. What a wonderful, wonderful story. And here we have another essential truth of our faith. And we're taught it again and again, and particularly in the life of Christ and in the writings of Paul, that sin is a barrier to God's activity. And therefore, whenever we gather for worship, as we did tonight, we confess our sins. We want to deal with that barrier that can be between us and God. And before Jesus could be at work healing this paralyzed man, he first cleansed him spiritually of all the things that he had done in his life that were a barrier between him and God. And having cleansed him spiritually, then Jesus was at work in him to heal him physically. And the two things go together. May our spiritual lives and our physical lives, our mental lives and our psychological lives, may forgiveness of sin and healing be granted to those who seek it. But there is a second truth that also comes from this aspect of the story. And it's a tough one. And it's not always easy for us to talk about. It starts with the Lord's Prayer. Some, a prayer we often say without really thinking about it. But in that prayer we pray, Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Whenever we say that prayer, in essence we're saying, Lord, forgive me as much as I am willing to forgive others. And when you think of some of the horrific things that people experience in life, it is tough to pray that prayer. Because we need to learn to forgive even some of the really horrible things that happen in our living today. Part of my testimony is that my mother left us when I was a, a, a mid-teenager. I was the oldest of four children. It took me a long time, many, many years, to forgive my mother for abandoning us. But in the end, I came to forgive her, not because I wanted necessarily reconciliation with her, but because I realized that my lack of willingness to forgive was not hurting her, it was hurting me. It was doing damage to my spiritual life. And so I came within myself to that point where I was able to forgive her for what I believed she had done to me and to my siblings. And my spiritual life took off. And with spiritual healing came other healings too. And so, if there are things that we need to deal with in our lives, perhaps we need to begin by asking if there's any unforgiveness because the person we're hurting the most is ourselves. 
the paralyzed man left. And there was a buzz about the place then. Wow, they said. And they said it backwards as well. Wow, we've never seen anything like this before. They were amazed. Because all the stories they'd heard about Jesus, they now realized and experienced it for themselves. They were true. Wow. My prayer for the church is that we be those who are the friends who exercise faith. That we be those who are those who exercise forgiveness in God's name. And that when we do, we are those, therefore, who experience the amazing things that God is ready and wanting to do in his world and in the lives of his creation, even today. What I pray and covet for the church, and first I'm going to take a drink. <coughs> what I pray and covet for the church is that we might so get to that point where almost daily, if not weekly, or weekly if not daily, we get to that point where we climb into bed at night and are amazed, reflecting on the day, amazed that the, of the things that God has done. May we be the wow people of the 21st century because we exercise the faith of the friends and we recognize and participate in the forgiveness of the Father. Because like an equation, the faith of the friends and the forgiveness of the Father leads to the amazement of the people. And I think that's what Isaiah was hinting about when in our first reading he said, I am about to do a new thing. And to God be the glory. Amen.